Welcome to Slow and Steady, the podcast where you get to follow along as we build products in public. Each week, we'll give you an honest peek into our lives as we share our struggles, our wins, and everything in between. I am Benedicta, and I am feeling eager. And I'm Benedict. Today is August 9th, and this is episode number 149, and I'm feeling busy. Busy. Busy, 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 busy. Yeah, sort of. (laughs) For the most part, I, I mean, I mentioned it a couple of weeks now that I, I feel like super unfocused and scattered and like having a hard time getting anything done or anything meaningful done. So last week, I basically ignored everything except for one thing and <laughs> <laughs> just worked on that. So um, yeah, now I'm trying to catch up on the stuff that I didn't do last week. So still feeling busy, but at least got something something going. I'll put some more on your plate. There's a book called The One Thing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's called <laughs> where uh, where he basically um, tells you that in work, that is the way to go. Like you need to focus on one thing and like let a lot of stuff slide. But then he's like, yeah. you still should have like, you know, a regular commitment to your family and kind of your other life. But then in business, there are stretches of time where you need to focus on one thing and just like let let the other things slide and not be as yep. good um so yeah he said like it's more spike like business or work should be more spikes i guess or like more extremes but he was like don't do this with your family though <laughs> because, <laughs> like you shouldn't like leave them for like six months and do your one thing and then come back so i, I appreciated that he actually like you know took a whole like a holistic approach to his advice in this book. But I felt it was, maybe yeah. I should read it again because I need to not do all the things this fall. Yeah, it's a little bit hard to to like just not reply to any emails, not do any customer support and like all of that and just like be fine with everything kind of being in ruins, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's not that bad, but like being fine with not reacting quickly and stuff like that. So yeah, I kind of know that, but it's also not a, not as easy to do, especially if like other people are involved and are like, waiting for your answers or depending on you in, in, in some form or another. But I felt like it was, it was necessary to get like this big chunk of work done that I did last week and it worked out. So I guess all good. In a way, so yeah. <laughs> Anything else? Or did you just um, do that one thing? So that's all you have to report. <laughs> I yeah, basically. <laughs> so yeah, maybe let me let me go a little bit deeper into what I was building. Um, we have this like this core component of user list for like defining conditions on everything. So we use that for segmentation. We use that for like just filtering your user list. We use that to add conditions to triggers and to messages. And it's basically everywhere. And I think I mentioned this in a couple of episodes already as well. Um, So far, we've been guessing the type of the fields you're building the filters on by looking at their name. So if they were ending in at or on or date, um, we'd assume it's a date. And if it starts with is something, then it's probably a Boolean and stuff like that. 
but that's inaccurate in some cases, especially when people don't stick to those naming schemes, which are just a convention we came up with. It's not like an industry standard, I guess. So it was causing problems and some confusion here and there. And the biggest problem for us uh, to to get that data in there was that the filtering logic was implemented in a synchronous way. So basically combining objects, but getting the type information was an asynchronous call to the to the API to get like the list of available properties and their types and everything. And that meant in order to get those two together, I had to figure out like how do we how do we change the filter builder to not be synchronous anymore but asynchronous and that took some time and some refactoring but i think we figured it out and um now we have like proper type support in the filter and it's a pretty big deal um at least in my books because i feel like it's making the fundamentals a little bit more solid and it will allow us to do like more interesting stuff especially with with more complex data types like arrays, um, which currently you can't really filter. Um, but now that we know that a field is an array, we can, at least in theory, we're not doing it yet, we can show a custom UI to be le- to filter like, this is an array which includes an object which has these properties and this nested array as well and something like that. So um, it's op- it's opening up the possibilities for like, more advanced stuff, especially in relation to the Stripe integration that's been always like going on for the last couple of months, <laughs> um, which essentially is working, but only to in a state where I feel like it's not really that good. Um, so it's in the current implementation only looking at events and like you get a payment event or payment failed event or trial ended event and you can react on that but talking to to a couple of customers and i think i asked you as well um that most people want to just look at hey get me everyone who's on that particular plan and get me everyone who's currently in a trial and and all of that stuff that's related to the current state of things and looking at the event stream isn't isn't a way to go for things like that because even though they had a try to start an event, they might have canceled or converted or whatever. So if you really want to know who's trialing, you have to check the trial state of a subscription they are on. And that's like in the Stripe API, unfortunately, it's deeply nested data. Um, so that's that's where this was coming from. I that know. That's why I want you to do it. Yeah, so um, it's a little bit more work than I anticipated in the early days um, of this thing. But I feel like if we get the fundamentals right, it will make that part easier with like just filtering data from third-party sources. But also like it allows you as a customer to send basically send arrays and and, and nest the data into user list, and we still will be able to. And still be able to to build queries on that, build segments on that, and and do everything you, you're currently doing with, yeah, like flat properties of sorts, but um, yeah, in a more more flexible way. And I think most other tools don't do that part well enough. 
So maybe it's once again a little bit of an advantage over other tools, but I guess it's also one of those things that only a handful of people actually care about. <laughs> but those so, people yeah, will see. get paid, at least with the Stripe, if you get the Stripe integration, the, the people that want information about trialing people are getting paid, so maybe they're more willing to pay. Uh, or I mean, maybe not. I, 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 <laughs> most of our customers are getting paid at this point, I guess. Like, I don't think. Yeah, I guess so. Not I guess any so. Money. Yeah. But I guess, like, the, the, I think the problem is that let's assume we're just talking about the Stripe integration. Like, a lot of, a lot of tools are claiming they are having a Stripe integration, and they do, but the the level of integration, I guess, is different. And like only scratching on the surface by just processing the events, that's pretty easy. I mean, I was able to build that relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. But the interesting use cases, as I said, like you can't solve with just that information. So I guess you can. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, because they could have a subscription later that is then canceled. Because I was thinking that maybe you could filter on the event. So if the latest event was a cancellation, then they're no longer they don't no longer have that subscription instead of like calling to see the subscription object and then like checking the state of the subscription object. And, but then people can have more subscriptions, I guess. Yeah. People can have more subscriptions and they can have more subscription items on a subscription. <laughs> and at first we were like, yeah, let's just assume there's only one and then just like extract that state and put it elsewhere. But even looking back at, at userless own history, like I think <laughs> even in year one, we had thoughts and ideas about like having multiple subscriptions on people for certain add-ons and like extra support plan. And I don't know, like you assume that just having one subscription is like the default state that applies to 90% of all businesses out there. But I think the truth is more like that everyone's, relatively quickly making a big mess with their subscription data. <laughs> yeah, I saw somebody was um, having fun on Twitter asking other SaaS, SaaS founders, like, how many how many custom plans do you have? Because you, like, yeah. through the years, you've, like, giving people some special favors or, like, and then you just create a new plan in um, Stripe. And then, you know, you would imagine people are on at least, like, one of two or three plans, but then you have maybe 10 people who are on 10 different custom plans or like 100 people who are on different custom plans. Um, so you can't even assume that like they're on one subscription with like multiple plans um, or something yeah, like, like that. It's, yeah. it, it's a mess. It's yeah, getting but, messy. Yeah. It's getting messy. It gets messy quick. quickly. Yeah. <laughs> but this again is why, you know, it would be very nice if you did that. <laughs> and we're trying that, to, I mean, that's what you're we're almost getting. On. You're almost getting into more of a, um, I don't know what that space is called, where it's not really email marketing, but it's also just segmenting and like getting knowledge about your users. Um, what do we call that yeah, data? Like, no, it's it's an analytics product in a way. Like yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. It's basically this been this from day one. Like it's it's an email like it's an analytic analytics tool that pretends to be an email tool yes but if you're honest like the, the the email layer is just like on top of the analytics layer so 
yeah, not sure if that was a wise decision, but um, at least I feel like that's the way this product should be built. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's how, that useful. how a good product like yours should be built, though, because it is, if you're not just sending broadcast emails, you're always wanting to segment people and sending them information at the correct time, and then you need that analytics information about the users. Otherwise, you're just like basically... BCCing a lot of people or like broadcasting to a lot of people <laughs> and there are tools yeah. for that um but having i guess event triggers are a little on the outside of that but as soon as you want to send emails to a subsection of your users then you have to have that analytics in there or have another tool send you that information yeah But yeah, that's, you don't I mean, differentiate that's yourself the whole from the other ones. Ourselves, uh, we, we dug ourselves uh, that we just making deeper at this point, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> But could you re could you like pivot and be a you know an analytics tool with an email layer and then like SMS and you know like the other ones just add on different ways of sending messages. <laughs> That doesn't sound like it makes anything easier, though. <laughs> um, no, uh, no. I, I guess we could, but uh, honestly, I yeah. At this point, it's what it is. I guess. <laughs> um, but we care. We care a lot of getting the fundamentals right, so that's why we're investing in, in stuff like that and. Um, Hopefully, it will be useful for people, and um, at least the people who who know and who care will appreciate that we that we took care of that stuff. Yeah, I think so, even though the people who don't really could that don't care or couldn't kind of formulate that they care will still have their needs met that they might not get under other places. Like they'll use other tools, and they can't formulate that oh, I need more analytics to do this. They just need, in their head, they just need to send email to a subset of their customers. And for, you know, as long as you can deliver on that, you know, they don't really care how this sausage was made. Um, yeah, that's true. But I mean, that's, that's the problem with like, with, with that entire approach is that those people don't care. So you can tell them in your marketing copy as much as you want. They don't, They won't get it and they won't care and they might choose a competitor over you um, because they don't care about the fundamentals in the data structure, I guess. No, and they it, care about the results. You have to figure out what kind of results or what kind of jobs can they do that you can't do with these other providers because you have the analytics as the... Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Which is very easy to say and very hard to do. I was about like I was just thinking about it. Like, how do we, how do we formulate that so it's clear for people? Um, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, we just keep Anyways. going, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So my my end, I said that um, you know last week I said I was antsy. I did find a better word in the feelings wheel, which is eager. Uh, which is kind of <laughs> the positive version of it, I think. Still eager to get properly started. We had a little bit of chat before we started recording that 
I am like socialized out, if that is a, that's how we say it in Norwegian at least. But I now have had six or seven weeks where it's been holidays and people, and it's been super nice. But at this point, I just want to sit in the corner of my living room and do work um, for quite some time. It might not be that long though. Like give me three weeks and I'll be back to being like, oh, I need to travel somewhere or do something. But right now I'm like very eager to get some solid stretches of time, I guess, to to focus, like focus time, not just like getting little bits of pieces done here and there. So the good news is that Lillian is back in school or like a summer version of school. The bad news is that I have to get her there, which I don't usually have to do. So it, that takes most of my morning. But I'm trying to spend these then kind of two weeks where it's a little bit weird, but still she's at some kind of activity or like a summer school type thing to really focus on cultivating some good habits, is, I think is my main focus these weeks. You know, do the yoga no matter what. Um, and I've been able to do that except for one day. Uh, get some really good like meal structures in place so that I don't wait until I'm so hungry that I can't even think about making food, which <laughs> can happen. <laughs> <laughs> and today, like I even put alarms in, like think about starting to make food just to like remind myself. And I was like, I'm not hungry. Like, I'm just going to do this little thing. And then 30 minutes later, I was like, I am hungry. Um, so <laughs> I think this is, this is going to be good. Um, and then also just trying to take advantage of the nice weather, because even though like we've had a good summer and we've taken advantage of it as a vacation, um, I know soon we're going to get to December and then Benedict is going to say that he feels a little bit low on energy. And we'll talk about how the, no sun does not help <laughs> that, on that feeling. So I kind of want to take advantage of it. Um, so I've been trying to work outside when I've been able to. And then last night I went for a late... I wouldn't... Okay, current me would say late night, but like young me would laugh. It was like eight <laughs> o'clock at night. Um, <laughs> so evening, I guess. Um, I took a bike ride because it's still light outside in Norway. So it, you know, taking advantage of there being those long nights and, and really enjoying that. And then I came back and I did some social media. And what was really good about it is that after I took the bike ride and I came back, I managed to do social media the right way and not get like fully sucked in or like start doom scrolling. Because if I just had dinner and then done it, I think it would have been more of that kind of doom scrolling thing. But having that break where I did something physical, some of my um, self, what's it called? Um, where you actually manage to like decide over yourself? Self-awareness? Self-discipline. Self-discipline was back. Some of the self-discipline was back. So that was actually, that really, that was good. So when it comes to the Gatsby Gatsby Authority or Gatsby plugin business, um, we are starting our streaming show back up on August 25th. That is when school is properly in session and we have full working days. Um, so if you are working on something that can be integrated with Gatsby, you know, DM me on Twitter or reach out in any other way because we'd love to have some guests. Uh, we had Pierre on from Scraping B. He was also interviewed on this show. He came on and we created a source um, plugin to source data from, from Crowdcast using his um, Scraping B API. So that was really cool. So if you have something like that, like any kind of service that could be integrated, then um, just hit me up. 
Um, and then we have a plugin proposal out there waiting for a reply. I'm going to check back in tomorrow, as I had promised. And then we'll have a Cloudinary wrap up today and look at some future plans with them. So things are moving along, even though I'm not kind of at work all day. Um, and then I'm very, still very excited about my big conference that is coming up, but I still can't tell you. <laughs> but you can guess, you can guess. Um, it's one of the big. Tell, tell us the date and the location, and then. Oh, you can okay. Guess. Yeah. Then, yeah. No, no. Um, <laughs> and then, interestingly, I got, um, you know, from with Pow, I got one of those, you know, where's the I forgot the password link. Um, you know, where is it? Like, why don't you have it? Kind of like, you know, a little bit pissed uh, kind of email. And I was like, oh, but I can't. Like, this is why you signed up for my product because <laughs> I protect your data and I can't protect your data if I can reset your password because then I have access to your data. So that kind of just reminded me that, um, yeah, how is there? <laughs> and chugging along um maybe you should maybe you should add a link um like uh a, like forgot password link that just sends people to a page where they explain why you can't reset their password because you never had it in the first place i've thought about that the the only thing i feel about it is that then people will you know, of course, I won't have it on the sign up page, but I will have it on the login page. And I think if people see that repeatedly, then they will think that there is a possibility to recover their password. Um, but I could have maybe like, you know, recover password, not link, and then people can like click on it and, and see what it says. Yeah, I'm a little afraid that just having that link there will like make people every time mm. they log in like oh that password thing wasn't as important because i'm trying to say that in like email too i send like an email with a scream face where it says you can never get you know recover your password um yeah but uh, that's a thought that's a thought i also just think it's going to be one of those problems with a product like pow like even yeah. how much you like tell people they want privacy because they've heard privacy is important but they don't understand the full extent of true privacy and yeah and then i can I like, to educate them i like what one password does in that regard because they also i think they have username and password which you can recover but then to access your vault with all your passwords you need like a secret key phrase or something like that and you can't recover that so when you sign up they basically generate a PDF for you that you can print um, that has like all that information in there. And basically they're like, yeah, when you forget those, you either have that stored somewhere in a proper safe somewhere or like just next to your desk or whatever. <laughs> uh, but we, we can't give you that, that data. That's we give you this once and then you have yeah, to and take care of it yourself. And with one password, you you can't recover that password either. Either so they give yeah. you the secret the secret master key. They, I think they call it secret master key or yeah. secret key, and then you provide the password, and none of those can be recovered. Or I guess they can re they can reissue a new secret key, but they yeah you can't they can't recover your password. Um, but they also say that the biggest usability issue they have is that nobody prints that paper. Yeah. That was like, basically, I've read some blog posts and some white papers that they've written where they also like, we've really tried. So they do a better job of it and pow, than POW, obviously, and they have a lot more users. But still, they're like, people don't print, like they don't believe it, that it 
they should print. So what they, you know, they give you a PDF with that master key on there, or the secret key on there, and then you're supposed to write down your password and then put in somewhere securely, secure, but nobody actually does what they're told to because they're like, I shouldn't write down my password. Like I've learned that I shouldn't write down my password. And at least you shouldn't write down passwords to things that people might shouldn't write it on a post-it on your work laptop, but there are some really good blog posts about how you should write down your passwords because your the threat factor is never that somebody will come into your house and steal your password book, notebook, if you're not a politician or like the mob boss or something like that. Uh, like regular people, people aren't like looking for your password, password notebook in your house. You know, they're sitting and somewhere in the world trying to hack the you. Mob boss. Then, then put that that password book into proper proper vault somewhere. Exactly. In your basement. Put that you know put that together <laughs> with all your other illegal stuff. <laughs> but yeah, no. So it's it's one of those things that is just very f- kind of fundamental, and where you know the the way we've been doing authentication for so long has trained us in basically unsecure ways. There's always a recover your password uh, link. There is always, um, and then we've been told not to write it down. And then we've also, what is the other one? Uh, There is this like list of things that we've often been taught. And then like a lot of them are not kind of true if you're actually doing like properly secure um, systems. Yeah. And that thing about like, you know, you need numbers and different things in your password like that doesn't matter it just needs to be really really long um yeah so yeah but check the description we'll put some links because there are troy hunt has done a really good blog post on why you actually should buy a password um notebook because people keep sharing that on twitter and laughing like you know they share a photo of that from the bookstore and they're like ah like people are so stupid and then you can link them to troy hunt's blog post where it's like they're not stupid. You're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he says exactly. it more politely. <laughs> he says it more politely than I did right now. But yeah, yeah. so if you are a one password user, go in to your profile and click that generate PDF and print it out and put it together with your like birth certificate and other important um things that only you know where it is. And if you are a prominent person, put it in an actual vault. <laughs> <laughs> It's also um it's also important that people close to you know where that that file is and that they like in case of your death <laughs> get to that super important get and, to those know, passwords. I'm working through that right now because I've, I've shared but it's a long time since I've shared that but my mom has Alzheimer and there's obviously things that I need access to but then there are probably things she don't want me to have access to ever. <laughs> but right <laughs> now, like she has a similar system as one password that she shared with me a long time ago. Um, but which is good because I can actually, you know, help, uh, help or I can actually like help her when she she no longer can do things um, or in case of, you know, her death. But I also read an interesting article on that, that you should maybe have more of those where you have kind of one for family then you maybe have one for a trusted friend to go and just like destroy some things you know people do have 
things that they've maybe never want anything to be shared with anyone. Um, and like, you know, actually think those things through and write it down and then tell people where they can find it at, at that point. And especially if you're a business owner, I'm mean, like thinking about us and other people I talk about in the industry, like some people are, you know, even younger than us, but you never know, like you can be hit by a car, you can, things can happen and you might, you know, be in a coma or otherwise not able to let anyone know. And if nobody has access to, you know, your user data or your, like your help systems or your GitHub or your Heroku or something like that, then like your business is gone, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, so you need to kind of have some systems in place. And I, you know, personally, 1Password is my go-to, but um, but it could also be written and then, you know, ask a family member to then take that paper form and send it to your, you know, business partner or somebody else that could take over the business for a while. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. But interestingly, one thing 1Password has done is that if you have a company account or a family account, other people in your family or company can start a um, password recovery type uh, process. So they will try to make sure that other people in your like family account or company account, account can't kind of hack you. But they have made it so that I think it's encrypted on like a company and family um, level so that other people in your company or family can decrypt your things and then encrypt it again with your new key. So that's a way to kind of have password recovery, but then there has to be other people in your account with like admin access or something. We'll link to that, that blog post as well. Um, but if you have a personal one password account, like nobody will have access to that. So that is also nice to know though, because if you have been given one password by, you know, account by one of your um, employees, you know, do not put your personal stuff in there because it's actually like there's the thing that can happen, especially if they have access then to your company email. But I'm not a security expert, but go check the links <laughs> <laughs> now that we got into this. <laughs> and then just crawl into a, um, you know, crawl under a stone in the woods. and Don't do any of this. <laughs> none of this happens. <laughs> but anyway, see you next week and around the yep. interwebs. Bye. Bye.